Postal Publishing, The Going Postal Cast, and Christopher Chapman present Incarceration, the serialized weekly podcast performed by the author, Christopher Chapman. For more information, visit www.goingpostalpublishing.com or email him at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. This podcast is not suitable for children. It has violence, gore, and lots and lots of naughty words. If you can't handle that, go somewhere else. And now, on with the story, or whatever other crap I decide to come up with. Hey everybody, it's Christopher Chapman. This is the Going Postal cast, and more specifically, this is episode 8 of Incarceration. I know I normally start off these episodes with some kind of silly voice or some kind of high-energy introduction, but I just can't do that today, and for good reason. Now, something has come up in the last few days. I actually had an entire episode recorded in the bag. It was all set to go, and when this news hit, I had to stop what I was doing. I had to delete that episode, and I had to talk about this, and... It's with a really heavy heart that I discussed this, and it's got me so upset. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty shaken up about this. I might as well just get right to it and let you guys know. Hostess is going out of business! Oh my god! I have been so just angry about this for the last couple of days. My Twinkies are going away, and... When I heard about it, I just stopped what I was doing. I went, oh my god, this is Zombieland. We're actually living Zombieland. And I am getting my shotgun ready. I am getting ready to go out and start shooting people in the head because, oh my god, zombies are coming. It's, oh, spoiler alert, the whole subplot of the movie is about looking for Twinkies. And seriously, over the last three days, I have done nothing but search for a Twinkie for something I wanted to do for this podcast, and I can't find a goddamn Twinkie. This was the weekend that my kids got to go to their moms for the weekend, and I went to gas station after gas station and store after store, and everything was gone in some places, and those stores that still had the cupcakes or had the donuts or had the zingers, they didn't have any Twinkies. And I said, hey, I want some Twinkies. And they all said, no, we don't have any Twinkies. One specific gas station said, oh, some kid came in and he bought the last two boxes. He said, I'm going to hang on to him for about a month and then I'm going to put him up on eBay. Good for him. Not good for him. Not good for him because it's bad for me. I want some goddamn Twinkies. And I can't get them. It's Zombieland, I tell you. Zombieland, we're all... The zombies are coming and... Oh, the zombie apocalypse, it's upon us, and, oh, Twinkies, man, Twinkies, hostess, oh, but I guess through it all, we, we gotta focus on the important things, we still have each other, we still have family, we still can sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya, but it's gonna have to be with actual marshmallows, because we have no Twinkies, I gotta get off of that, I'm gonna have to go to Twinkies Anonymous and take care of this problem of mine, but I will get through it. So we are actually going to have an episode here, despite the Twinkie fiasco. 
So in a little bit of an update, I've done no editing because I'm basically throwing this together at the last minute. So we're just going to have a short little introduction and then we're going to get right into a couple of chapters of incarceration, do the normal promo or the promoting at the end and get the heck out of here. The first thing I'd like to say is happy Turkey Day to those of you who are in the United States. It is Turkey Day on Thursday, so this is the last time I get a chance to talk to you all before Thursday. So, happy Turkey Day to all. Don't eat too much. And for those of you who are eating too much, buy a bigger belt. Now, I actually have a question for you, the listener. Feed burner. Does anybody have any clue how feed burner works? I am totally just perplexed by the way the numbers work because seriously they go up 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 then down for like five days and then up up again and then down for five days and it's driving me nuts uh before the influx of new subscribers last week it was you know going up 10 drop 5 or 10 then go up 11, then drop down 5 or 10, and it was very inconsistent, and then with this new influx, it's like, okay, it suddenly shot up, and then it started to go down a little bit, and I thought, eh, there's a couple of people here that aren't that interested in what we're doing here, what I'm doing here, and maybe, you know, the ones that were coming over from Scott Sigler's podcast thought, eh, I'll stick with Scott. Well, then all of a sudden, boom, it jumps up and goes 50 subscribers higher than I'd ever seen before, and then goes down 5, goes down 5, goes down 20, and now I have to wonder if in a couple of days it's suddenly going to go up another 50. Is, does anybody know how the feed burner thing works? Does it go based on the actual amount of downloads? Does it go down if you only do one episode a week when you're having fewer downloads because everyone got it well, I release on Monday, so is it happening on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? I searched the internet a little bit, and I didn't really find a whole lot, so if anyone can tell me, please, it's driving me nuts. This and Twinkies has been like my week of frustration. So if you have information about it, please email me at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. Now, quickly, this is going to be a new little thing I do. It is going to be a mailbag-type section in which I answer a question or two that I get in email throughout the week. So I had, when I had originally done this episode, I had answered a question, and I'm going to hold off on that until I'm just going to basically paste it into the next episode because we're already getting a little long because of my rant about Twinkies. So, uh, so if you got questions for me, you can go to the, just send an email to goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com, and I will do my best to answer them for you. I already have three or four to get to, and I'm hoping to get some more. So let's just get right into the story. Here is a couple of chapters of Incarceration. Chapter 14. Overall, it had been a very good night. Randy Thompson hadn't slept in over 26 hours, yet found that he still had plenty of energy. He thought that things had gone extremely well with the Wrangle Boy. He did everything but confess to the murders. A little more push and he may get him to do that as well. He decided that it was time to go home and get some sleep. 
The situation was under control now that he had his suspect behind bars. Now they could take their time examining the two crime scenes, studying every minute detail until they had it right. He was confident that things were going to end the way he needed them to. He pulled his keys from his front pants pocket and walked towards the exit. He paused as he saw Jason Rangel being escorted towards his cell. Guilty bastard is going to get what he deserves, he thought, a smile spreading across his lips. His mind wandered from the suspect to his wife. He wondered how upset she was going to be when he got home. She would have been asleep hours ago, but he seldom snuck into bed without waking her up. She was bound to be angry. He hadn't spoken to her since he took the phone call for the Norman murders. He hadn't spoken to her in almost the same length of time that he'd been awake. She hated it when he did that. More and more lately, she dropped hints about him taking a lighter schedule or possibly even hanging it up and retiring. Why would he do that? He wasn't even 40 yet. He figured on another 10 to 15 years on the force before having to hang it up. Even better, he'd be doing it in Niagara, which would likely return to being quiet now that the killer was behind bars. Being a police officer in Niagara was a career-extending opportunity, and he was grateful for it. He enjoyed what he did. The thought that he had the power to determine someone's guilt or innocence was an amazing feeling. His ability as a crime scene investigator was all the difference in whether somebody walked the streets or was locked behind bars. That's the way it was with Jason Rangel. It wasn't always skill. No. Luck was also a part of it, and he'd had a lot of luck on his side tonight. He just happened to be in the same neighborhood when Jason went berserk, running his way with all that blood covering him. He chuckled at the thought, but his enjoyment was short-lived. A scream broke out that was so primal that it chilled Randy right down to his core. What in the hell was going on? He scanned the room, but couldn't figure out what was happening. He saw that one of his officers that had been working with Jason was now motioning for him to come his way. The kid was behind this. He walked quickly, wondering what in the hell could cause this kid to freak out the way he was. One second he's fine, and the next he's screaming at the top of his lungs. What's going on? Randy asked as he arrived. Officer Brad Collenbach was the officer that had motioned for him. He wasn't speaking now. He motioned for Randy to come with him, which he did without asking any questions. He knew the truth would be revealed soon enough. He was taken to the cell in which Jason Rangel was spending the night. The scream hadn't stopped with the exception of him taking an occasional breath. Randy couldn't believe his ears. That cell was made with some of the top materials in noise reduction. It was designed to keep sound out of that room, as well as keeping any noises from within that room from getting out. It obviously wasn't able to stop a young man from screaming himself deaf, as well as the others on the outside. Why in the hell is he doing that? Randy asked Brad, yelling over the screams. Did you break his arm or something? No, Brad said, holding his hands away from him in the not-me posture. He didn't want to go in there. It took the two of us a great deal of effort to get him in there, but we didn't hurt him. As quickly as the screams had started, they stopped. The room became silent, with the exception of the slight ringing in Randy's ears. He became worried that something had happened to his suspect. He motioned for the door to be unlocked. The door sliding open followed an audible click. There, standing on the other side, was Jason Rangel. He looked as if he'd just seen a ghost. His skin had gone pale white, as if he'd been out of the sun for weeks rather than a few hours. 
Jason raced out of the cell looking relieved. Randy's heart skipped a beat. He believed that Jason was attempting an escape. He grabbed Jason around the neck with his forearm and drug him back into the cell. As soon as they were inside the darkness, Jason thrashed as if he were being tortured. No, no more. I don't want to be in the dark, Jason shouted. There was a panic in his voice. I'll do anything you want, but I don't want to be in the dark anymore. Will you confess to the murders? Randy asked, stopping for a moment. Jason paused as if he were considering it. He looked up at Randy with eyes that were filled with fear. Yet there was something else there as well. What was that? It was anger. It was a look that Randy was becoming all too familiar with. No, Jason said, pulling himself away from Randy and moving deeper into the cell. He sat down on a bed at the back of the room. Anything but that. I'd rather die. Randy backed out of the room and motioned for the door to close. As the large door slid closed, the screaming started again. Who's that all about? Brad asked. I think he's afraid of the dark, Randy said, staring at the cell door. He wasn't sure how right he was, but he had a hunch. The way he looked at the darkness, it could only be that. He turned to Colin back and said, Keep a close eye on him. I don't want him to die of fear or something like that. I need him fit to stand trial for this crime. Colin back nodded several times, seemingly acknowledging everything he said. Randy knew that Brad would do a good job. Now, if only the officers watching the bodies of Jason's parents would do as good of a job. I'm going home, Randy said to the other officers. I want one person keeping an eye on him at all times, as well as one patrol car running through the town all night. The rest of you can catch some shut-eye. I'm going to need all of you in top shape for tomorrow. My guess is it's going to be crazy once the media catches wind that we have more murders, as well as a suspect in custody. Everybody that was listening bobbed his or her heads at his words. Good. Thanks, guys. Good work. Have a good night. He left his officers behind, wanting to get as far away from the screaming as he could. He walked down the stairs, out the rear door, and into the night. He looked for his car, but realized that he had brought his squad car. His car was at home. He walked across the dark parking lot to where his squad car sat. Because this was Niagara, he didn't need to make sure that the car was in a garage to prevent vandalism. After the events of the last two nights, he was reconsidering his options. He approached his car from the rear right. He was parked near a streetlight, which cast a warm yellow light over the car. There was something funny about the way the light glistened off the rear passenger side window. He normally would have crossed over to the driver's side, but felt the need to investigate the funny way the light reflected off the glass. He stepped closer and knelt down. There, about five inches up from the bottom of the window, was a long scratch, nearly four inches long. What could have caused that? He'd glanced at the window earlier and hadn't seen anything. Testing a theory, he moved his head to the right. He was shocked when the scratch seemed to disappear before his eyes. That's why he hadn't seen it before. The scratch could only be seen at the correct angle. His mind filled with Jason Rangel's words. He'd said something about somebody trying to get in from the outside, scratching at the window with his nails. Could nails have caused this? He didn't think that human or even most animal nails could have cut through glass like this. He remembered hearing that a diamond could cut through glass... He couldn't think of anything else offhand. Could Jason have been right about somebody being outside the car? His mind remembered the imprint he'd seen in the soil. 
The soil had been pressed as if something had grazed it from above. He'd thought that something might have been floating there. Then there was the couple drops of blood. That's impossible, he said to no one in particular. He was alone, or maybe he wasn't. The sudden feeling that he was being watched swept over him. He looked around, seeing nothing, but sensing everything. There was somebody out there, watching his every move. He wanted to get into his squad car as quickly as possible. He wanted to feel safe. He moved around to the driver's side, fumbling for his keys. They fell to the ground, landing with a metallic clink. He bent down quickly, his eyes constantly scanning the scene. His hands groped for the keys, finally grabbing hold. He lifted them, searching the ten different keys for the correct one until he found it. He tossed the door open, slid behind the wheel, then closed the door as quickly as he could. He sat behind the wheel, feeling a sense of relief. Feeling an intense urge, Randy grabbed a pack of cigarettes from the console. He opened the box. Only two cigarettes left. He'd gone through nearly an entire pack in the last 24 hours, and that was only while he'd been driving. He pulled a cigarette from the pack and quickly slid it into his mouth. He lit it and took a deep drag. He hoped that it would calm him. It hadn't. He turned around, looking once again at the rear window. At this angle, the scratch stood out. He saw the way the scratch looked, wondering what Jason was thinking as it happened. He must have been scared out of his mind. He shook his head, knowing that he was being stupid. He was letting the kid's overactive imagination get into his own head. None of that had happened. He was looking for someone or something that didn't exist. There had to be a logical explanation for the glass. He believed that Jason had seen the scratch and made up the entire story. He started the car, put it into reverse, and backed up, turning so to point his car towards home. As he placed the car into drive, his eyes drifted to a set of large bushes on the side of the police station. He looked at them for a few moments, believing that he was looking at the shape of a man, staring at him from within the darkness. Randy's heart beat heavily in his chest as he slammed his foot down on the accelerator and drove away as quickly as he could. He didn't want to know if what he'd seen in the bushes was real or not. Chapter 15 How in the hell did we get stuck with this job? Officer Edward Torola of the Iron Mountain Police Department said as he stood just outside the Dickinson County morgue. He wasn't alone. He stood with his partner of the past three years, Dean Destram. They were guarding the bodies of Gary and Mary Wrangell. Ed didn't want to be there. After 12 years on the force, he'd expected to be beyond pointless jobs like watching two bodies. He was wrong. He should have expected that it was a possibility that he could draw guard duty. Dean and he both worked primarily overnight, and the Norman bodies had disappeared from the same morgue the day before. The morgue stood silently behind them. A new steel door was the only thing between them and the Wrangle bodies. Why in the hell does Niagara send their dead here anyways? Ed asked Dean. For Christ's sake, they're in a different state. Yeah, but we're only a few miles away, Dean answered. Guess that works better, rather than sending the bodies all the way to Marinette, or wherever it is that they send them. Besides, they do that just to give you something to be pissed off about. I'm starting to think that's true, Ed said, irritated at the very idea. He didn't doubt for a second that they could be trying to mess with him. It seemed that lately everybody was trying to mess with him. So, what do you think of this murder spree, or whatever it is? I guess it's over with, Dean said, looking at Ed. 
they apparently caught the kid that did it. That brings me back to why in the hell are we watching these bodies? It seems that if they caught the kid that did it, it seems that he would also be behind the disappearance of the other bodies. Doesn't that make sense to you? Hey, we're just following orders, man. If we don't do this, the lieutenant will have our asses. I know that, but I don't have to like it. He didn't like it at all. He loathed the idea that he was wasting his night in a morgue. The place was dark and dreary, reminding him of a bar. He liked the bar. He didn't like here. There was only one light in the hall, giving him barely enough light to see the entire corridor. The air was damp and musty. It wasn't a pleasant scent to breathe. He couldn't wait to get out of the morgue and back onto the streets where he belonged. He looked down at his watch. It was four in the morning. The sun would be coming up in about two hours. They'd be allowed to leave about an hour after that, when the medical examiner would arrive for his shift. He couldn't wait. The sound of metal striking metal from within the morgue startled them both. Ed looked at Dean for a moment, then at the closed door behind them. The door was solid, without windows. There was no way of seeing inside without opening the door. All that was visible from within was the cracks of light that shone between the door and its frame. What in the hell was that? Ed asked, his hand moving instinctively to his gun. He pulled it from the holster and pointed it towards the ceiling. I heard something. I heard it too, Dean said, his eyes so large that they looked as if they were bulging from their sockets. It came from inside. Is there another way in? Ed shook his head. No, this is the only way in or out. He paused, thinking over what he'd just said. When he spoke again, he whispered, That means that somebody has been in there the whole time. We better go in there and check it out. Ed knew that Dean was right, but going into the morgue was the last thing he wanted to do. Something wasn't right, but he knew that they needed to investigate. Ed checked his gun, making sure that it was ready to fire. Dean did the same. Ed found that his empty hand was reaching forward, grabbing hold of the door handle. He twisted, listening to the click as the door released. He pushed it inwards and entered the morgue with Dean behind him. He scanned the room with his eyes as well as his gun. The room looked virtually unchanged from his first trip inside that night. He'd been in there to inspect what they were guarding. It was his responsibility to see if there were any hazards to be aware of, such as hiding spots, trap doors, hidden rooms, and just about any other form of nonsense he could think of. He found none of those. Then came the sound. He had missed something. To the best of his knowledge, there was only one change from the first visit, and it was a big one. The body of Gary Rangel was on the floor. The metal cart that the body had been on had been moved almost five feet, where it struck the metal table that would soon house the autopsy. Ed's eyes continued to search. How long had it been since they'd heard the noise? Thirty seconds? Forty? It hadn't been very long. He wanted to know how the body had been moved, and where was the person that did it. He could be anywhere, yet there weren't many places to hide other than the meat lockers. As he continued searching, looking under tables and in cabinets, a thought popped into his mind that scared the shit out of him. He realized that the kid couldn't have done what they'd said he'd done if somebody was here to take the bodies. He reached down and grabbed his radio. He moved towards the center of the room, back to where the bodies were. Dean saw what he was up to and moved towards him. What are you doing? Dean asked, whispering. I'm calling it in, Ed replied, also in a whisper. The boy couldn't have done it if there's somebody in here. 
He faced Dean as he pressed the button on the side of his radio, opening the lines of communication. He stared forward as the sheet behind Dean began rising like a ghost. He wanted to yell, He's hiding under the sheet! But nothing came out. He was unable to turn away from the horror that was about to take place. Overhead, the fluorescent lights began flashing. The strong, constant light that had been there just seconds ago was replaced by a flicker that resembled that of a strobe light. A moment of light was replaced by a moment of darkness. That process repeated itself over and over again, making everything seem unrealistic and dreamlike. The sheet behind Dean continued rising, and something slid out from underneath the sheet. Dean must have seen the expression on his face because he turned around to see what he was looking at. Warm blood sprayed from Dean's throat, covering Ed's face in a crimson mist. He felt blood in his hair, on his cheeks, on his nose, and even in his mouth. He had to wipe away the blood just so he could open his eyes. He wished he would have kept them closed, for what he saw was more horrific than any of the three murder scenes or 16 car accident victims he'd seen over the course of his career. Dean was moving towards him, looking more like a zombie than a man. His throat was gone. Blood sprayed in every direction while his heart continued pumping. The spray weakened, indicating that his heart was as well. His partner was dying. Dean moved towards him slowly. His hands stretched outwards as if he wanted to give him a hug. There was no sign of the gun he'd been carrying moments before. The gun. In the heat of the moment, he'd forgotten all about the gun he was holding. He lifted his gun, pointing it over Dean's shoulder. He could make out an object on top of the metal table, moving around like an animal. He couldn't make out anything specific as the lights continued flickering. Something touched his shoulder. His first thought was that Dean had managed to grab hold of him. He moved his eyes down to see that Dean had fallen to his knees. Dean looked up with confused, pleading eyes. Those eyes moved behind Ed, to the spot where somebody else had a hold of him. Ed whipped around, ready to put a hole in whatever he saw. As he came face to face with the devil, his gun fell helplessly to the floor below. He tried to scream, but it was already too late. His throat was already gone. Woo! Things are getting exciting, aren't they? So there you have it. Two more chapters of incarceration. And so it's time to get out of here. I hope you enjoyed the story. If you like what you hear, of course, you can go check out all the various places you can purchase incarceration. Don't have to. I like giving away for free as well. We're just trying to build an audience for right now. So be, by all means, if you like it, though, it's only $4 for the ebook, So it's not that expensive. So Facebook, facebook.com slash going postal publishing. You can like me there. Like me. Twitter.com slash going postal pub. Follow me. I haven't been getting on there as often as I had been, but I like to just throw out some random things, and that's where I shared my first observations about the zombie apocalypse upon us. You can also check out the YouTube videos. I will be getting to a new video when, within the next couple of weeks here. I need to promote incarceration a little bit more and get out, get out something based on that and hopefully start getting the stuff for Daddy's Little Girl going in the coming weeks and months. Always more to do. My work is never done. Of course, you can email me. I've already mentioned it twice. 
goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. Of course, you can always just go to the website, goingpostalpublishing.com. All right, it is time to go, but before I do, I have myself a package here. I'm leaving this noise in. This is why I'm not taking out any of the background noise. You can hear this cellophane packaging. Now, as I mentioned before, I was unable to acquire Twinkies. But what I have here is a Hostess Golden Cupcakes. So these things are highly addictive. Probably not as good as the originals, but I already ate those, unfortunately. But So I thought, in honor of Hostess and everything they've given to me and my expanding waistline, I am going to eat one of these Golden Cupcakes on the podcast... And we're going to share it together. Of course, you can't taste it right now, but if you want, pause it, quickly run to the store, pick up some golden cupcakes, and then come back, unpause it, and share in the taste with me. All right? Pause now. All right, welcome back. All right, so we're going to... All right, so I got the golden cupcake, and... Mmm, so that's a good cupcake, okay? So, until next time, this is Chris, Going Postal Publishing. Take care now. Bye-bye then. Man, I wish it was a Twinkie. You've been listening to the Going Postal Cast. For updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like him at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012.